This is Views from the Watershed. I'm Lizzie Mogul, your tour guide. We're here at Simpson Mini Park in Phoenicia, on the banks of the Stony Clove Creek. All the streams in this particular part of the watershed feed into the Stony Clove and then into the Esopus, which is just downstream. When it rains a lot, the stream can back up and flood downtown Phoenicia. The Ashokan Watershed Stream Management Program, which is a collaboration between educational institutions and government agencies, is working on re-engineering the stream here and above so that Phoenicia is protected from flooding and so that the city has clean water. My name is Tim Koch. I'm the stream educator with the Ashokan Watershed Stream Management Program or AWSMP, we develop educational programs around stream science, watershed science, and stream management. We do a lot of work with watershed towns, their infrastructure management, their culverts and bridges. My background is in watershed hydrology, how water moves in, through, and out of a watershed. The Ashokan Reservoir, that watershed is about 255 square miles. There's over 450 miles of streams. All the water that falls within the Ashokan Reservoir watershed eventually will make its way to the reservoir, and some of that will eventually make its way to New York City via the extensive infrastructure of the water supply system. We're here at Simpson Mini Park in Phoenicia at the intersection of Main Street and State Route 214, both main roads near the confluence of the Stony Clove and the Esopus, where those two streams meet. The village of Phoenicia is built on an alluvial fan. An alluvial fan is very similar to a delta, the Mississippi Delta, for example, uh, where the Mississippi River enters the ocean and it deposits all that sediment. An alluvial fan is very similar, except that the river is entering a flat area of land rather than the ocean. So the Stony Clove Creek is entering the floodplain of the Esopus Creek if left to its own devices, the Stony Clove would be a very wide stream, a braided stream, meaning that it has sort of multiple threads. The stream will jump back and forth between these threads. And if given all the space and time in the world, it would just continue to do that over and over and over. Once Phoenicia started to get developed, what ultimately happened is the stream got pushed all the way to one side and it got constrained on both sides by roads and development houses, infrastructure, things that we have to protect. Streams move water and sediment, rocks uh, of all different sizes, from very fine clay particles all the way up to some of the boulders that you see in the stream. The whole gamut, from very large to very small. It's all sediment. All of the sediment that's moving through here is coming from further upstream in the watershed. And so over time, basically the mountains are working their way to the sea, and the river is doing that. So what would happen is every time we had even a small flood event, this stream would basically fill itself in with sediment. Before 2010, the bridge would basically get plugged up with rocks. And that was the problem. There was no more room for water. So after every flood event, the town would come in here with excavators and dump trucks and dig out all this sediment. It's a very expensive process. And the town came to AWSMP seeking help. What can we do? What we're doing now isn't working. The village flooded three times in 10 months. October 2010, December 2010, and then August 2011, which was Tropical Storm Irene, the biggest flood that this stream has seen. There was about a foot, if not more, of water 
that was backed up at the bridge, since there was no room to go under the bridge, it went around the bridge through Main Street. It took a lot of thought, a lot of creativity at the site because there's not a lot of room. We can't make the bridge wider, can't make the bridge higher. We can't shut down the sediment from upstream. We needed to keep these rocks moving through the site. We try to use a set of principles called natural channel design. How do natural rivers move sediment? They don't have levees or berms or, or concrete in them, but they shape themselves in such a way that allows them to move the sediment coming in from the watershed. When a river starts filling in with sediment, the stream tends to get wider because the channel, the deep part of the stream, gets filled in with sediment. And now you have this shallow, wide flow. And that's what was happening here. We had to figure out a way to maintain depth in the center of the channel. One way you can do that is called a cross vein. It's this elliptical, almost horseshoe-shaped structure made out of large rocks that will not move. That forces the water into the middle. And you can kind of see that you get this white water effect in the middle. While it might not look like much, the way that those rocks interact with the water flow, changing depth, changing velocity, that's what allows the sediment to be moved through this site. One of the coolest things about all this is that we're not building walls, we're not putting in concrete, we're using rocks, just like the river would do naturally. This project here is really only in the bridge area. For improvement to water quality at the Ashokan Reservoir, flood mitigation, and shutting down sediment supplies. The only way to really test them, unfortunately, is to have a flood. On Christmas Day, we had a 10-year flood that has a 1 in 10 chance of happening in any given year. And it was really the biggest flood event since 2011 and the biggest flood since we have constructed these projects. So it really gave us a unique opportunity to see if this project was functioning as designed. The bridge didn't fill itself in. It did not flood. It was not overtopped. It did not start running down Main Street, which we have seen in other flood events. Any sort of river scientist or river person that isn't thinking about climate change, isn't doing their job. We factor climate change into just about everything we do. Using the best climate change models, we're expecting about a 15 to 20% increase in precipitation in total amount and uh, also in the intensity, um, what we would call a 10-year flood today. In 25 years, that might be a five-year flood. So when we are designing bridges, sizing these projects, we are looking towards the future. We are expecting a warmer and a wetter climate. A very important part of this project was the riparian plantings. Riparian is basically a fancy word for riverside. There's a lot of stuff going on in the riparian zone. Not only are we talking this sort of river and stream bank protection, there's a whole bunch of mammals and reptiles and birds that specifically inhabit these areas, plants that will only grow in these riparian areas. So it's this really, really unique ecosystem. Down in the stream, you notice you have this thick vegetation. On both sides of the channel, these plantings provide a natural habitat for riparian animals, shade for fish. 
There's a lot of willows here. These are shrub willows. It's not like your weeping willow, your big tree. When the river floods, those willows bend over and slows the water down. And that helps to bring all of that water back into the center of the channel, giving the river the ability to move sediment through the bridge. The amazing thing about willows is this ability to root. If you take a cutting about the diameter of your thumb and about a three to four foot length, and if you drive that into the ground, it will take root, that plant will just take off. And so we use those pretty much all of our projects. A healthy riparian buffer gets stronger over time. It's weakest that day that you drive the willow stakes, but every day after that, that bank is going to be stronger. And as we can see here today, even after getting beaten up by the Christmas flood, these willows are still doing great, lush, and ready for the next flood. A lot of work and research has been done in the Stony Clove watershed because the Stony Clove has historically been one of the biggest sources of turbidity in the Ashokan Reservoir watershed. Turbidity is the cloudiness of the water. It's an optical property. It is related to the amount of very fine clay particles of sediment that stay suspended in the water column. During the last ice age, 12,000 years ago, there were glaciers all over the place here and glacial meltwater lakes appeared. Over the course of 12,000 years, all sorts of geological stuff happens. The streams are cutting down through these valleys. As the streams enter into this glacial lake, all of that sediment that's being carried from the stream sinks to the bottom. So you get these very, very thick layers of very, very fine clay. Turbidity is natural in the Ashokan watershed. There's no escaping the geology here. When a stream channel starts eroding its banks or its stream bed, these glacial clay deposits can become exposed. It can become a chronic source of turbidity. Historically, the Stony Clove used to be the most turbid stream in the watershed. After about 10 years of these restoration projects, that's no longer the case. We've got about 10 years of data now. It's pretty exciting. Thanks for listening to another episode of Views from the Watershed. Learn more about this program at walkingthewatershed.com slash podcast tour.